Coming up on this special edition of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we're live at the Fitzroy Bowls Club for the Women's Footy Almanac Pie Night with a special Women's Footy panel featuring the Guardian's Deputy Sports Editor, Kate O'Halloran, artist and Essendon VFLW star, Kendra Heil, writer and audio documentary maker, Kirby Fenwick, plus ABC Grandstand's Lucy Watkin. And at the Fitzroy Bowls Club, we also catch up with the GB Swans, Alex Salter. And as always, there's our State League Rap featuring Matthew Cox, Lauren Hodgson, and Aaron Russell. I'm Peter Holden, and welcome to a very special edition of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, including our Girls Play Footy branded podcast. This will be our 111th episode overall. This podcast is going to be slightly different to what aired on Wednesday night on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. That is, we're swapping around the order of a few things and airing some stuff that we didn't get time to air on the radio on Wednesday night. First of all, the women's footy panel, which started about half an hour into our broadcast, we're going to move that right to the very front. So in the next minute or two, you'll hear the beginning of that. At the very end of the panel, you'll then hear our interview with Alex Salter from the GB Swans, who attended on the night, and then we'll jump into our State League's wrap, looking at Victorian football, QWAFL, AFL Sydney, plus scores from Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania, and the ACT. So let's get into it. On the other side of this little piece of music, you're going to hear from Casey Simons, the women's footy editor at the Footy Almanac, introducing the women's footy panel at the Women's Footy Almanac Pie Night at the Fitzroy Bowls Club. Welcome everyone to the Women's Footy Almanac Pie Night. Thank you everyone for being here with us at the Fitzroy Victoria Bowls and Sporting Club. And welcome to everyone tuning in on Women's Australian Rules Football Radio, either on the radio or via the RSN 927 website. On behalf of everyone here, I would like to formally acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are gathered on for our event tonight, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I would like to pay respect to elders both past, present and emerging and extend that respect to other Indigenous Australians present with us as we come together for our celebration. I'm Casey Simons, the women's football editor here at the Footy Almanac, and it is my great pleasure to be hosting our women's footy media panel tonight. Tonight's event would not have been possible without the support of our sponsors, Deakin University, Ethical Investments, Think Agri, and our patron Yvette Roby. And of course, a big thank you goes out to the wonderful team here at the Fitzroy Victoria Bowls and Sporting Club for hosting us. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our wonderful panel members who have all contributed to the Footy Almanac in some way. And I'd like to ask you all just to hold your applause to the end because I've got a lot of accolades to get through introducing these amazing women. So firstly, we have Dr. Kate O'Halloran, who holds a PhD in Gender Studies and is the Deputy Sports Editor at The Guardian Australia. Kirby Fenwick is a writer and the creator of the AFLW audio documentary The First Friday in February. She's written for The Guardian, Girls Play Footy, and also has an essay in the recently released book Balancing Acts, Women in Sport, published by Brow Books. Lucy Watkin is a writer and commentator, co-host of the Credit to the Girls podcast, and plays in the VFLW for Melbourne University. And she's also just taken up a media cadetship at ABC Grandstand, so congratulations, Lucy. And Kendra Heil, who plays in the VFLW for Essendon and is also an exceptional artist who has produced the front cover for the Women's Woody Almanac 2018 book, which is an amazing depiction of Hannah Scott with the Premiership Cup, which you're going to all see on the screen up here. And it's just going to look superb on the book when we have it out in late July. So let's all welcome our panellists. 
Okay. Well, to start with, um, let's just all refresh our memories because the AFLW season was a little while ago now. So let's just get into the spirit of the night and maybe I can just ask you all to share your favourite moment with us from the second AFLW season. Um, though we've got some doggies on the panel tonight, so I don't know if I need to ask you guys. <laughs> um, maybe, Kendra, if you want to start. Um, mine wasn't a, particularly a moment. It was more... Uh, a collective effort by GWS. So mm-hmm. I was really impressed with their their increase of not just their talent, but just their um, eff- effort around the ball and how they played out their games. They played for, uh, four-quarter games, whereas the season before they were struggling a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard really, really amazing things about the culture they've developed there. Uh, so that really impresses me because as... Anybody who's been in any type of club knows that if you don't develop that culture, um, things can fall apart really quickly. So I'm really impressed with everything that they did up there. Great. Lucy? Um, I'm not a doggy supporter, but (laughs) (laughs) it's not the grand final. But I think my favourite moment was when, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Jenna Brutton who kicked the goal in in the last round against Melbourne. Was it her? The final goal. The final goal. But that final, yeah, Brooke Lachlan, the final goal that got Melbourne into, I mean, got Western Bulldogs into the grand final was probably my favourite moment. And for Witten Oval to only have 7,500, I think, that game, mm. it felt like there was about 15,000 people there. So that was a really, really cool moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Kate? Yeah, I feel like they maybe lied about how many people were there. Yeah, it felt like, like it was like at least 10,000. Yeah, and like yeah. easy. Kate easy. and I were cheering pretty loud though. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just you yeah. guys, yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, well, that wasn't the one that I was going to choose, but just briefly, um, it was the first time my younger sister had ever come to a Bulldogs game, um, AFLW game, and... You know, she like had the full shakes and was like so <laughs> nervous at the end, and everyone was doing the doggies chant, which um, yeah, for me, I'd never seen that at a women's game. So yeah, it was really amazing parochial bulldogs crowd for a, a women's match. Um, but for me, um, well, I, I thought that Kirby might talk about the grand final, so I thought I'd better choose another one. Are you going to talk about something else as well? <laughs> we both vote for bulldogs, so. I'll probably mention that, but something else. Okay. Oh, well, all right. None of us have chosen our own premiership. But, um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> um, but during the season, um, yeah, my partner Cinta's here and we actually went um, on a little road trip to um, Adelaide and uh, watched the Adelaide Bulldogs game. And, you know, obviously we went there wanting the Bulldogs to win. But um, just seeing Erin Phillips um, and the way she performed in that game, like she was coming back from this quad injury. And I think Paul Grove said after the match, like, God, if that was her at, you know, 60%, um, then God help us all because um, she kicked four goals too and had 14 disposals or something. And, um, like, but sitting in the crowd um, at Norwood, like, everyone was really emotional about it. Like, we all had goosebumps because, you know, I remember thinking, like, A, isn't it amazing that um, the seat, like, that the competition was brought forward from 2020 because we might never have seen Erin Phillips. Um, yeah. and her freakish natural talent. Mm. But also, like, how many Erin Phillipses have we missed? Um, yeah. Because it's taken us so long to have this competition. So, yeah, we, I remember saying that to the Adelaide supporters around us and, you know, we were all just totally in awe of this woman and, yeah, what an incredible footballer she is. So that was probably my favourite. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, and I didn't expect that from you. <laughs> <laughs> I do have Erin Phillips on my background on my phone. Just <laughs> <laughs> confession. Kirby, what's your moment? It's hard to go past that grand final, which was an incredible day for lots of different reasons. The rain and being forced to stand out inside, outside in it for about an hour and a half before the gates opened, being one of them. Um, yeah, that game is pretty special. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure I can really put into words what it was like to see my team, my Bulldogs, win a premiership. A bunch of women that I'd fallen in love with over the last couple of seasons and just... Yeah, let's not talk about Emma Carney and Jenna Bruton, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was a pretty special moment. But for me, one of the other really special moments throughout the second season of the AFLW was something that I made a concerted effort to do, which was to bring non-football people to the games. Um, So friends of mine that weren't particularly fans of, of Aussie rules or hadn't been to a women's game before, like I really made an effort to try and bring them along and, and get them invested in it. And I think it worked with at least... 75% of the people that I brought along so that was a really special moment for me just trying to share that sort of obsession and love that I have um, and and get some more people on board. Yeah fantastic great all right well um, we're going to focus a bit more um, on the coverage of the game tonight um, as our passion here at the Footy Almanac is primarily riding on the game but also contributing to the conversation on it um, so I'd like just to talk just a bit um, about what you all do in your contribution to the game, um, which is work exceptionally hard in different ways in this space. So maybe if you can just quickly just talk a little bit about all of your work, um, because you do so much of it. So just maybe just give us a little uh, couple of lines about, you know, is it a case of um, are you creating things in this space because you have a passion for it, you want to get it on paper, on canvas, are you pitching ideas, are being commissioned? Um, just give us a bit of an insight into your processes. Um, and I guess maybe for those of you who are playing the game, um, how that works into the playing side of it as well. Do you want to start, Kendra? Yeah, sure. Uh, so mine's a really like specific story. Um, so I, w- I had back-to-back ACL injuries. And after the first one, I was drafted to Collingwood. And then two weeks into preseason, I did my knee again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already been doing commission paintings here or there just for people, like nothing special, like a... Uh, comic book painting or something like that <laughs> and after I did my knee the second time um, I was just doing residential paintings and my partner was like don't go back into that it's not good for your rehab um, he's like you're very talented so why don't you do something really cool and really interesting and he pushed me to get into it so that's when I started the uh, first couple of Collingwood ones just to see <laughs> like if people would be interested in it and if it like interested me and I got really passionate about it and I think it's because I found ways to capture moments in in the sport when I couldn't participate so it made me still connected to the sport um, rather than just being on the sidelines um, and it's not just talking to pe- people about it you can actually see those moments when they're so excited and or upset or they've just kicked a goal and yeah it's almost like reliving those moments yeah awesome Lucy do you want to talk us through your processes yeah so I've been really lucky in that I've had a few experiences with uh, women's football um, and that was primarily at the back I was doing my master's in journalism um, which I started in 2016 
So that was kind of a bit of a shock to the system when I started it in 2016. So 2017, I sort of got my stuff together and I was like, put myself out there and do some things. And I was lucky enough to be involved at Carlton during the first AFLW season. So I reached out to every Victorian club and was like, I really want to be involved. Um, And then Carlton, luckily enough, they got back to me. And so I spent the season with them. I was at every training session. I went to every game in Victoria, including the now famous uh, lockout game, which I watched from Carlton's media box, which was really amazing. Um, So I got to interview every single player and sort of, you know, ride the highs and lows with them during that season, which was um, really, really, really fun. Um, And then sort of since then, it's sort of taken off for me and it's been sort of my main focus. So I made a lot of what I was doing during my Masters about AFLW or women's football um, because I was so passionate about it. So I wrote a story, um, wrote some stories for like the student publication as part of my Masters um, and I was also the executive producer of the sports show on community radio for SIN. And so I spent a lot of my time sort of focusing on trying to get women's football into that in, into those conversations, which was really, really great. Um, and then for this season, me and Sarah Black, who is the AFLW, AFL.com, did I use AFLW reporter? Um, I luckily enough went to high school with her and we were friends in high school. So we started a podcast called Credit to the Girls for uh, Sin. And so we covered the game. And the reason we started that podcast was we knew there was a couple of voices out there and like the Outer Sanctum and those sorts of people. But we believe there wasn't really a a show or a program or anyone really covering the game from like an analysis sort of point of view like who's playing well what can teams do better like sort of that kind of thing so we put that show together um purely to sort of fill that sort of void and I think I think we did a pretty good job if I say so myself I think you definitely Um, did (laughs) thank you um and so we're going to keep trying to do that we sort of dropped off at the moment but we're going to keep trying doing it when there's good AFLW things happening but um and now that i got this opportunity the abc part of what i really want to do there is to expand the coverage of the abc and get women's sport sort of on the map there and that's definitely um a goal of mine yeah and also i after the first season i had a, a piece published uh by the huffington post which was also a kickstarter um for all of this yeah, yeah incredible great stuff kate um yeah um echoing the you know trying to um increase coverage of women's sports so um at the moment i'm deputy sports editor at the guardian um so based in in melbourne um but yeah i i guess my journey writing has been a very long one i did freelancing kind of straight out of school and always wanted to be a journalist but um you know kept i stayed at uni and ended up doing a phd in um gender studies and um <laughs> But, you know, had my own, you know, mini sporting career when I played for Victoria um, in cricket when I was a teenager, but um, had really chronic, terrible injuries. So don't play any sport anymore. Um, And this is my way of staying involved. But in terms of women's footy riding, um, got involved when the exhibition games were on, um, the Bulldogs Melbourne games and and wrote to Fairfax um, and just said, like, have you got anyone covering it? And they were like, no, do you want to do it? Um, here's a media pass, go along, have fun. Um, and, yeah, that was kind of the first time I started properly reporting on um, women's footy. And, like, yeah, I think when I wrote um, my piece for the Almanac last year, I mentioned that experience because it was just fascinating, like, sitting there in the box and me being so engaged and, and passionate about this game and yet 
you know, there were all these other, particularly men in the room who just had their backs to the women's game and were watching, um, like, the Collingwood men's game on the TV. And like, that was just um, so startling and shocking to me because, you know, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing and the skills. And I, I remember um, Chelsea Randall taking this amazing mark and, like, I was like, wow. And, like, I heard one of them go, oh, my God, that was amazing. And I turned around and I was like, yes, how good was it? And he was watching the Collingwood game on the TV. (laughs) And, like, I felt really embarrassed. But then I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm not the one who should be embarrassed. But Mm. um, so anyway, then, you know, obviously when AFLW started, um, I was like, it makes so much sense for me to be riding um, on this competition. And um, But instead of going straight into mainstream media, I came to Footy Almanac and... Um, just said like yeah would you have me um, writing for you and that really gave me confidence and and a space to uh, have my work published and um, you know get some good feedback and it was really from there that um, you know I was able to then feel confident enough to approach the Guardian and say again have you got anyone covering AFLW and again no do you want to do it all right off you go (laughs) and then you know lo and behold it's turned into a a job there Um, Yeah, but still, you know, still on a journey. Um, There's lots more I could say about it, but to try and increase the coverage because, you know, it does, um, unfortunately, on some level, really rely on individual champions. So, you know, they're fortunate that I'm someone who's so passionate about AFL and about women's sport um, because that means that on my time I can write on AFLW, I can have a weekly AFLW column, but that's not because they asked me to do it, that's because I pushed for that Um, and because my time, in a sense, is not time they have to pay for in the sense that they have to pay freelancers and unfortunately the sad reality is that when resources... Um, run out or are limited at mainstream um, news organisations that's the first thing that goes is women's sport Um, and obviously I hate that and I want to change that Um, but it's a really tough battle sometimes. Yeah it sounds and yeah the Guardian are definitely lucky to have you to Mm. keep pushing on in that space and we're all very lucky that you do it for us so thank you Kate. Thank you. Kirby what did what about your experiences in writing in this space what's your processes like? I guess my kind of first involvement with writing about um, well, football more broadly, but specifically women's football, was through Girls Play Footy. Um, I remember after the original, the first draft in 2016, I reached out to to them through the Twitter account, and I was like, "If you ever need a hand with anything, like I'd be happy to help out." And it kind of snowballed from there. Um, you know, I wrote a series of columns last year just about my experience as a fan sitting in the stands, which I think is a really unexplored kind of area. Um, and there's just been multiple things come out of the AFLW for me personally, um, making an audio documentary about the very first game in the first season. is probably the most significant one. Um, yeah, for me, it's um, my sort of drive is about telling stories that's Mm. what is really important to me and I guess I've said this before but I'm a bit of a footy romantic it's the stories that really capture my attention and and that's what I love so yeah when I write about it I'm trying to maybe maybe fill some of those gaps and I think with doing projects like the audio documentary I'm trying to create something that's going to last for 20 years or 50 years or 100 years so that um, these stories don't get lost, they don't disappear 
um, mm. as women's stories too often do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just hearing all the work that you guys do, it's just a mountain of work. It's just so impressive. Um, I guess just carrying on that theme because I feel like I do want to give you guys a bit of a chance to sort of toot your own horn, so to speak, because you deserve it. Um, but our motto here at the Footy Almanac is, um, you know, it's right from the heart and it's all about passion and, and being proud of what you produce. So is there one thing that you've done so sort of this season, either in the A4W season or coming out of it, that you're particularly proud of? Like, what's that sort of one project that you've worked on that you just want to be like, yep, yeah, I did that and I created that and put that in this space. This is your chance to pump yourselves up because I want to pump you up. You deserve it. <laughs> Do you want to go first, Kirby? Maybe we'll go back the other way. Mine's probably fairly obvious. Yes. Um, so... Yeah, on the Monday before the very the second the first game of the second season, I released the first Friday in February, which is an audio documentary that tells the story of um, the first game in the first season of AFLW, that infamous lockout. Um, and just tells the story of the stories from the women that were there in the stands, um, which are really important stories that don't get told very often. And I guess I wanted to capture what made that night so powerful for so many women and I hope I did that um, yeah so that's that's the thing that I'm most proud of this season being able to put that together and, and release that into the world and being able to um, facilitate the sharing of so many wonderful stories from so many wonderful women some of whom are on this panel <laughs> Kate what about you? Um, well I'm very proud of what you managed. I think you, you should be very proud of yourself, Kirby, because, yeah, I participated in that and um, incredible work that you did. And I think archiving is so important. Mm. Um, like you say, like, you know, going back now and reading stories about when women were first trying to get teams up and um, that information's just not there. We're kind of guessing and filling in gaps. So, anyway, I think what you did is incredibly important. Um, I... Um, yeah, there's, pro there's probably a couple I was struggling to choose between. Um, uh, one is the ongoing conversation around um, AFLW coaching. Um, so I felt like, uh, well, I think it was probably Caroline Wilson who, who first sort of brought it to public attention um, when Goddard uh, left Adelaide and then Cowan from Fremantle. Uh, she really brought the gendered equity question uh, to the table in, in the media and in public conversation and you know I felt very passionately about continuing that conversation because I think a lot of people and, and I only wrote about this again a couple of days ago um, because too often what you hear is you know oh but we just want the best person for the job and uh, you know maybe she w just wasn't the best person for the job and so I wrote this article she won them a premiership yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah in the case of Goddard I was like well fascinating that people are still trying to make that argument mm -hmm. when actually what we're talking about is a premiership coach um, in the first season and you know she was coaching these women who were split across the Northern Territory and South Australia and um, you know in Adelaide were only one win away from making the grand final in season two so like honestly you know what better a job could Goddard have done and you know then for me digging into this story a bit more um, you know asking Adelaide about exactly what she was offered hearing that she was offered um, an admin role in the off season you know it just sort of struck me 
you know, I, I think the example I used was, do you think Alistair Clarkson would have been offered an admin role in the off season to mm-hmm. keep him coaching at Hawthorne? Mm. Um, and, you know, and they tried to tell me that, well, we can't just create a role for her. Uh, there wasn't any roles in the men's department, um, you know. And, God, how many times do roles get created for people when, when they're valuable commodities? And why is it that we don't value women in leadership in the same way that we value men in leadership? And I just don't think when you put together all the facts of the situation, her and Michelle being paid in the lowest... Um, pay quartile of, of their male peers, you know, and, and just simply having no women there anymore. Um, you know, I can't find any logical answer for that apart from sexism, mm-hmm. apart from gender inequity. And um, unless someone's brave enough to say that and to keep saying that and to say that to Adelaide's media manager and to say that to Bet Goddard's manager and and to keep saying it, even though you get a lot of pushback, you know. I had the club ring me after my first article and be like, you know, um, why, you know, we, now we've got to ask all these, we've got to answer all these questions about why we're not a gender equitable employer. <laughs> I'm probably going to get a lot, of, a lot of trouble for saying that on my radio. Whoops. Um, but, um, yeah, and I sort of thought, well, actually, if that's the outcome, that's probably the best I could have hoped for. I think so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's probably probably the one I'd choose. Amazing. Lucy, what's something you're really proud of that you worked on? Um, I'm feeling a bit self-conscious now because that was, like, really inspiring. Appreciate <laughs> <laughs> it went first. <laughs> no, 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 you're all inspired. So. Um, I can't say that I've made anyone at a club call me to question what I've been doing. Um <laughs> But the thing that I'm most proud of, and it wasn't from this season, um, apologies, but it was from the first season, um, which was this article that I had posted on the Huffington Post. Yes, that's what it's called. And um, it w- I remember I sent it off to a whole number of people and the Huffington Post got back to me and they were just like, yeah, we'd love to run it, all that kind of thing. Um, it got posted and then there was a headline that just said, um, why the AFW changed my life forever. And at the time I remember being like, wow, that's a bit of an exaggeration um I don't know don't know about that but I look back on it now and I'm just like no they were actually completely right like they were so right like that is exactly what has happened um and I remember I read it again for the first time in ages last week because we had to share something when I started my cadetship and I shared that piece and I remember reading it through and it sort of really struck me like in terms of tooting my own horn, I'm really going for it now. But <laughs> I was just... I just remember reading it being like, this was a very... Like, that first game, that first season, experiencing all of that was such a formative experience for me. So much because um, I never saw women play football when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do was play football when I was growing up. And I never got the chance to play football when I was growing up. And I remember I used to live for the two days in high school two days in high school when we used to play football um, and I played soccer and I was like quite good at soccer um, and like played for state and all this kind of stuff but my dad asked me the week and he said would you have played like you you love soccer didn't you and I was like yeah I did and he was like yeah but what if you could have played football back then and I said yeah there was no chance I would have played soccer then like oh, wow. I would have just played football mm-hmm. um, and so I think back on that piece and I'm quite proud of it because I think it sort of said what a lot of people were thinking in that Growing up, they never got to see women play football and how amazing that was and how life-changing that was 
for a lot of people um, and I think that resonated with people just because it got shared a lot of times and I think the AFL Facebook and social media shared it themselves and I got so many comments on it and things like that so that was really nice and that's something I'm still really proud of in terms of like I think it was just like Kirby said a story that people really related to mm. um, and so that was really nice yeah, yeah that's beautiful thanks Lucy what about you Kendra you painted some amazing portraits in your time is there one that you're really proud of uh, yeah it'd probably be from last year um, yeah like is like I really really love the the cover from the, that I've done for this year but I think the one last year that I did of Sarah Perkins um, it's when she kicked the kicked the goal for Adelaide and her arms are spread out mm. wide like look at me now um, because I know a lot of people have probably heard her story and she's one of my good friends and it was so great to see her come into her own over there mm. um, and just somebody else having belief in her and it gave her that, that onus to have that belief in herself and so I really enjoyed capturing that moment um, and I hope to see more moments like that and hopefully get the chance to paint them as well. Yeah, absolutely. That um, That's an iconic image now, isn't it? Just Sarah <laughs> with her arms spread out like that. You're just like, yeah, come at me now. And just like, yeah, oh, my gosh, I'm so motivated thinking about it. No, and that was a beautiful portrait that you did, Kendra. Um, I guess out of all that stuff, I think the theme that comes out of it for me is just like how passionate we all are in this space. And we're doing it because we love women's footy so much. And I think that's kind of a universal theme when you think about sport is we come into these spaces because we're primarily fans and we're sort of drawn into it because of the passion of it when you're working in this space um i would like to know just um what your guys processes is in terms of is that passion and fandom something you embrace in your work or is it something you need to put to the side um when you're writing or when you're painting or creating something or is it something you put front and center that's just for anyone who wants to jump in i do not even attempt to separate it <laughs> um, because that's just who I am and the kind of work that I do doesn't require me to separate it. Um, yeah, I embrace that. I embrace the position as, um, that I have as as that passionate fan and, and incorporate that into my work and, yeah, I don't, I don't even try. What's the point? <laughs> I think it makes for a more interesting um, whatever you're doing whether you're writing something or painting something or you know creating an audio documentary if you invest that that passion and that feeling into the work then the audience can see that so why try and remove it hmm. is that something you find Kate when you're writing because you're writing for a publication and as a journalist which is yeah. traditionally you're meant to sort of keep your biases out and your passion yeah. out and I think, yeah, it does probably make for some boring reading. But how yeah. do you go about your your writing process? Um, yeah, it was really, really tough with um, AFLW because, yeah, I mean, it's no secret that I'm passionate about <laughs> it. And um, and I pushed to do my, yeah, weekly Monday columns on, on the weekend, um, you know, recapping the round. And then it's funny that, yeah, like I, I feel like Kirby too in the sense that, well, you know, it it would be empty or have little meaning if if I didn't write from the heart. I mean, that's why I love the Footy Almanac so much. But um, readers really didn't like that about my AFRW coverage. And when I say readers, I, I probably mean <laughs> some readers. Um, yeah, thank you. That's very nice because I, there were a lot of comments that were like, 
I'm so sick of reading Kate's tripe about AFLW, you wow. know, like it's so, you know, she's going to look back on this and be really embarrassed about oh um, <laughs> about how emotional she gets about it and, um, you know, those hysterical emotional women. Um, of course, of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like people are like, you can really tell she's a junior journalist because, you know, she really just can't separate herself from her writing and how she feels about women's footy and, wow. yeah, like, yeah, I feel like you. I mean, what what would it be if if I didn't insert myself in it and mm-hmm. my love for the get? But I think that's quite confronting for people because they're so stuck on you know the quality or the the its entertainment value or its 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 you know marketing value or what what it, I, I had a really good discussion actually with the women from the outer sanctum when I wrote a feature on them and and they were talking about the bottom line and how. And I don't mean to make it unnecessarily gendered in this sense, but she said for a lot of men they want to know about what the commercial value of the competition is, you know, what the financial bottom line is. And for us that's not the bottom line. There's so many bottom lines and one of it is how emotional we feel about it and mm. and this terribly inequitable situation that's gone some way towards being rectified and we're not going to be ashamed of feeling emotional about that. So... But, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, definitely. It definitely is tough. And, like, I definitely just getting started in sort of, like, this mainstream media business, like, whole thing. But it's definitely something that I'm wary of in terms of, like, not seeming, like, that whole thing and being, like, not being the too passionate person and people being like, oh, Lucy Watkins, she cares too much. Like, she shouldn't be reporting on it or talking about it because she cares too much and all that kind of thing. And then I just think of, like... I think of, like, we're probably going to ask this question in a second, but, like, one thing that stood out to me was, like, Daisy Pierce when they were talking to her on SEN about, like, Memogate and that whole thing. And, like, she's, like, sitting there and she's almost in tears, like, mm-hmm. trying to defend her sport. And, like, you know, she's a woman. She's just turned 30 and she's been waiting her whole life for this. And she's so emotional because she's finally got this chance and there's all these people saying to her, oh, you know, you shouldn't be playing. Or oh, this game is so is so crap that it doesn't deserve to be out there kind of thing. And I can imagine the environment that she was in in the studios at SEN and all that kind of stuff as well where she almost did have to stand up for herself. Um, And I remember when that all happened, like I was quite riled up about it Mm. all and things like that. But it is definitely hard when you're a passionate fan and you want to give it justice and you want to cover it. Um, And I think for myself, I think my passion is in the fact that I want to cover it and that I want to push for it. Um, and that's not to say that I won't ever probably get up on my high horse sometimes about it. <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, my passion lies in the fact that I'm a, like a very big fan of it, but also just that I want to put it out there and I want to push to have it in the media mm-hmm. and to get it the coverage it deserves. Yeah. And Kendra, this is probably a really different sort of angle for your work in how passion plays a role for you as an artist in your portraits. Is that something um, that you try to embrace, like your own passion in your pictures, or are you just trying to use it from like your source material? Um, I think that if you paint without passion, it doesn't generally go well. So those are the <laughs> days when you, you've you gone through a couple of hours of painting and you haven't really felt it, and then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> and yes, yeah, when I get like that, the image that I have over there of Sabrina Frederick Traub, I just saw it and I fell in love with it. And... I painted it so fast. It's like, bam, it was done. And I think it's those moments that you have to embrace. And if you can't 
feel it, then I think then you just gotta have a glass of wine and get over it and then feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think you can definitely see the passion in your work in particular because all your pieces are just incredible. Um, well, I guess touching on some of the things that come out of that conversation there and we're sort of looking at the media landscape, um, looking at the really varied work that you all do in this space, um, I guess my question is, how do you see the media landscape that covers AFLW sort of more generally? And some of the things I think you guys just touched on there is something that I see, um, and that sort of seems to be this groundswell of what I would call um, sort of mostly fringe media that's covering the game. So there are collectives like, I guess, us here at the Footy Almanac, um, podcasts and radio shows like um, Women's Australian Rules Football Radio who are broadcasting us tonight, um, The Outer Sanctum who we've already mentioned, um, The Credit to the Girls podcast that Lucy does, um, others like Like a Girl, Footy Gospel, Chicks Talking Footy, This AFL Life, um, The People's Game. Um, there's probably a lot more that I could think of as well. But do you think it's a, a good thing that there's so much content being created outside of the traditional media, um, sort of the mainstream media? Or is, do you think it's a bit of an issue that there's not too much crossover um, into the mainstream media? Uh, I I think just like I, I don't write at all, but as a reader... Um, if it's out there and it's being created, then I think eventually they'll see that there's a need for it and then it'll become more mainstream because, yeah, obviously people want to read it and people mm. want to write it, so I think it'll progress forward. Yeah, I think so. I think the fact that there's all these people pushing for it can only mean that it'll slowly make its way into the sort of into main, into the newspapers and onto the news and all that kind of thing and you know it's got to have to be a big sort of paradigm shift for mm. women's sport to become into the mainstream media as like a whole thing but you know it's just still really nice at the moment for me to see that um you know the wbbl and aflw and the matildas and stuff are making it even into the herald sun in the mm. sports pages and things like that and it all it just makes me think of I did this subject in my first year of uni in 2012 and it was gender and sport and one of the things the first thing we had to do was like bring in an example from the newspaper or something of like a women's sport thing and I think of the difference between then and now mm. and I think wow people must have just like cut out like three or four articles like if they did it this year but back when I did it I think there was at least half of us who came in and said oh we couldn't find anything Wow! so I think of the change that's happened in six years and I think of the change that can happen in a further six years but that's not to say that it's not going to happen without a lot of hard work and without a lot of these sort of independent people pushing for it and a lot of those independent people somehow ending up in that space um, as well and I think for the AFLW, it's been a lot of, not this is a bad thing, but it's been a lot of sort of feel-good stories about the athletes and how they got to where they are and um, their stories are being drafted and all those kinds of things, and I love that. Like, I love it so much because we do need to hear those stories. But I think, as I said, with credit to the girls, we sort of started that podcast as a way to sort of talk about the game mm. and how the girls play and, you know, which players you should be looking out for and, you know, who's going to get drafted and all of that kind of stuff. And I think there is a little bit of a a lack of that side of the coverage of the AFLW but you know that'll it all it'll all change in a in a, in in time yeah um yeah i mean i think about this all the time keeps me up at night sometimes um <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it's um i mean yeah the social media thing for a start is is a saving grace and you know often 
um, incredibly energising for me, um, sort of like a safe haven to go there and, and see all these people who are so passionate about and take so much ownership over um, women's sport and, and its coverage. Um, I think in terms of mainstream media or even from my perspective, I actually did this feature on Bridie O'Donnell. Um, I don't know how many of you know her. She's the head of the Office for Women in Sport um, in Victoria and she was a world champion cyclist. Um, the feature's coming out on the weekend, by the way. Um, <laughs> and she said something really great to me which really resonated, which was that um, one of the problems with the coverage of women's sport is the question of ownership and, and who takes ownership over it because she said, in my experience, you know, like with, you know, men's cycling is obviously has such a higher profile um, and she said, you know, they, the men's ra- the women's race would be on like four hours beforehand and the men's race, um, they would always prioritise the beginning of the men's race, even when nothing was happening over the end of the women's race and all the cameras were set up while the women were racing and no one was filming and, you know, and she said... and. And every single person you ask, like if you asked Eurosport, you know, why aren't you doing it? And it's like, well, no one gave us the highlights package. You know, we had all these slots available, but no one delivered it to us. And then she'd ask, like, the cycling union, well, why why haven't you done anything about it? Oh, well, we're just here to create the calendar. And, you know, anyway, you get the picture. So, like, everyone along the chain thinks it's someone else's responsibility. And mm. it's a bit like that in mainstream media as well. Like... Um, I don't know how many of you know like how it really works when you work in a newsroom, but if you don't have a journalist covering something, you get a service called Wires where you just sort of get generic news sent to you and you can pick that up and put it on the website and it's sort of done for you. It's like a subscription service that you pay for. And, you know, half the time or 90% of the time, those stories are on men's sport. So you've already got a disparity, you know, um, if you want to do women's sport, if you're passionate about women's sport, you have to go out and find those stories and that takes a lot of initiative and then, you know, if it's not on the wires, then, okay, you've got to generate that story from within your office. So, you know, if I'm on and I've got time, that's the first thing I do. But on the weekend when you've got casual editors who are mostly men, who mostly don't think about women's sport the way that I do, you know, I can be away from the office for three, four days at a time and come back and literally nothing's been done on women's sport. Wow. and incredible. (laughs) Because no one's taking ownership over Mm. it. And I'm sick and tired of women being the ones who, who shoulder the burden for women's sport. It's great that we're champions for it, but until other people take ownership over it, nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. Kirby, did you have any thoughts? Just, I, I just think all those podcasts and all that, all that independent media is is valuable and important because I think the media landscape has shifted so much. Mm-hmm. Like where we get our our news from has changed so much. So I think those, you know, independent podcasts and and websites and whatever else people are doing like the footy almanac i think they're really valuable and they are filling in the gaps where mainstream media is not doing their job properly but i agree with lucy that i think what has been missing for me um and was really i felt noticeable this year was that was that footy analysis you know why are we not talking about matchups and things like that which is what we do when we talk about aflm we're still sort of talking about those feel-good stories, which are great, and I love those feel-good stories, but I think having that footy analysis and talking about that stuff is 
is where you take the next step. Um, and that's, that's kind of still missing for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know how we go about changing that by starting a revolution, but I'm on board. <laughs> we also need to have them stop publishing pieces that don't need to be published in terms of like so-and-so who won one Brownlow in 1965 thinks that women shouldn't play football. <laughs> like, what good does that do for anyone? And I don't understand why those stories keep getting published. And it's a case of like the men in the room that are just like... Mm oh, my God, he said what I agree about women in sports, so I'm going to publish this because it backs up my opinion of it, which is just so unfair and just so unhelpful on so many levels. Um, and so that needs to change as well, which is, like, going off everything that Kate just said. That yeah. sort of stuff get, gets clicks, though, too. Yeah, and so I yeah, think it's exactly. really important to sort of contextualise that against, this, against the media landscape. Mm. When, like, um, you know, editors making the decision to run those sort of pieces know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And they know that, you know, people will share that because there will be people that will be defending, you know, the right for women to play football. And there will be people that will be using that sort of story to back up their own thoughts. So they know exactly what they're doing. So I think there is a real responsibility with the people that are making the call in the newsrooms and the TV stations and the radio stations and the newspapers. Um, And a lot of that comes back to bias Mm. that sort of inherent bias that people have against women's sport definitely um just on that theme and something you mentioned there kate where you're saying that women's really do women really do have to be the champions for themselves and for other women in this space i wonder um and this might be something that's more for um you guys um kendra and lucy from the playing perspective is that something that's also put on you um at a player's level is to do sort of your own media and your own um, stuff in that space to sort of give yourselves that own, like, platform and profile? Or are the clubs sort of giving you media training and sort of helping you in those areas? Um, It's definitely left to all of us, um, I think. And I think a lot of girls who are playing, from what I've sort of seen, like, they're not fussed by it. Mm. Um, Whether that's a good or a bad thing, it just seems like they're sort of just like riding the wave, seeing where it takes them, whatever happens, happens. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I think like they, they don't shy away from media either, which is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing about AFW is sort of like the access that you do get to players um, as well. And I know that if I asked anyone on my team, like, oh, I do this, would you be willing to interview? Like any one of them would say yes. Um, and mostly AFL and VFL clubs are pretty are pretty good at that. Um, but I think the thing with that is like a lot of them don't see themselves as any different as any other football player Um, and I always thought of that sort of like as a good thing until I read The Balancing Acts which I finished last night and there was a piece in it by Charlotte Charlotte Guest and she's Mm -hmm. speaking to the poet um, oh my god I keep forgetting Faye Zwicky was that that her name? Yeah Yeah, and um, Faye sort of says oh she must ask her a question about sort of gender um, imbalance, inequality throughout her lifetime. She sort of said, oh, I never really thought about it because I was raised or always made the thought that because I was a woman, I like there was nothing that I couldn't do. But then she backed it up by saying whether that was a good or a bad thing because maybe it meant that I missed a lot of inequality and harassment and things that actually happened to me. And I, that really has stayed with me the last couple of days and that I think, well, I, I was like, oh, I've been raised the same way. My parents have always told me that I could do anything and in saying that, the fact that I couldn't play football did just totally go over the top of my head. Yeah, right. And I didn't think about it. 
Um, so I think not to be like all women footballers should be thinking about this more, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be worthwhile for them to, um, you know, maybe you know take 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 a bit of more of a stand. I think I'd like to see that be a bit more Daisy Pierce on SEN. You know, yeah. Love it. What about you, Kendra? Um, at SNN, we actually have um, a media guy that's covering the men's VFL and the women's VFL, and they haven't. I don't. I don't really know if they've asked him to do these stories, but he's been really, really proactive, and he's trying to find things to talk about. So he's trying to release one or two stories a week, um, if he can, about different girls and where they're coming from, and especially because the Bombers fans asked for it. They said we want to know more. Um, which is really, really encouraging, and I think it makes the girls feel great as well. Um, And he's been really good about um, contacting us, making sure we feel comfortable. Um, If you just want to do, like, just want to talk to him about it rather than pictures, he's been really, really accommodating, and I think it's made the transition for a lot of the girls because we only have a, a couple that are from VFL previous season and a couple AFLW players. There's a lot of girls that have come up from uh, VAFA that don't have never had that kind of attention before, and they've made us feel really, really welcome. So I'm I'm quite grateful for that. And um, I've noticed that some some clubs they don't publish any of the women's things on their main pages mm. so they only publish it on their women's version yeah um but i'm i'm really impressed with essendon's uh they've been putting it on their main page their men's vfl page and they like retweeting our tweets and that kind of stuff which it it seems like something really little mm. and insignificant but i think that the little things go a long way Um, especially to making you feel like you belong somewhere and yeah I'm actually really really happy with it so yeah oh that's fantastic all right well I'm going to ask one more question of our panel and then I'm going to come out and maybe um, ask if there's any questions from our audience Um, so if you want to have a bit of a think and we can ask some questions to our wonderful panel but maybe just to finish up um, from me Maybe this is just something I'm interested in as um, a writer in this space and I want to sort of pick your brains a little bit more, but I hope the audience is interested too. But I wanted to know maybe what's that sort of dream gig you guys maybe have in the back of your minds coming up to AFLW3? Um, Is there a particular story you would love to write, a particular player that you would love to interview, um, something you want to capture on canvas? Is there sort of something that you're chasing that you would just be like, yes, I would love to have that on my already illustrious resumes that you already have? (laughs) Does anyone have any sort of thoughts? Um, I don't know if it will happen in AFLW3, but maybe eventually. You know how all the clubs have those big... Um, team paintings that have all the moments in history happening. Mm. I'd love to do something like that, but for women's football. Um, So I think that'd be pretty cool. I'm currently putting one together, the MCG, like all the MCG history. Um, And so it'll be practiced so that way I can perfect it for when we do the women's one. We'll be keeping an eye out that. That'd be my dream to get that done. Fantastic. (laughs) We need more history moments, though. Like a women's football (laughs) sustain chapel. 
amazing. Uh, yeah, that'd be so. Yeah. That's who, a church who would I would be touching to. fingers though? <laughs> who would be like? Yeah. It'd be like Aaron Phillips and like Aaron Carney, Emma Carney, yeah. first two best of Ferris, just like coming together. Chelsea Randall would be somewhere in there. Yeah, she's just like oh but fantastic. more like Emma Carney mouthing off at uh, Aaron Phillips, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I play with Emma Carney, so it's okay. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me. I, I met Callie Underwood today, which was really cool. Um, and I just want to be her, essentially. <laughs> um, but more so like the women's football version of Callie Underwood. So I think that's like, that's my dream to host some kind of AFLW show, whether that radio or TV, um, and also to commentate AFLW as well. It's probably my dream. Yeah. Awesome. So, Pete, if you want to help me out, that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> Um, that's a hard question. The first thing I thought was, oh, it would be really nice if I didn't have to write about gender equality or <laughs> any of the politics if there was nothing to talk about. Because, uh, like, seriously, though, like, each week I kind of try and strike that balance, like, when I did my weekly columns, because, um, and I think this is what you were getting at with your um, podcast, was, you know, how do you strike that balance between trying to talk about women's sport like it, like people talk about men's sport all the time and just focus on um, the football or, you know, the great stories of the players and, and whatever else? And then every single week I aimed to do that or tried to do that and then there was the memo <laughs> and then there was, you the know... The was sabotaging you, is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, and then there were no lights at Icon Park and we didn't have any money for it and then we didn't know where the grand final was going to be again and then it's like... If all of that shite could stop happening, then maybe I could get there. <laughs> We've got our fingers crossed for you, Kate. I think we all want the same thing. <laughs> I'm pessimistic, but thanks. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure. I have some ideas about um, some different projects um, around the history of women's sport, uh, of women's football, sorry. Um, I'm sure many in the audience have read Play On from Brunette Lankitch and Rob Hess, which is a great book if you hadn't. Um, seek it out. I think there's a lot of stories in there that um, need to be told, perhaps in a in a bigger platform. But then there's also things like the history of the, of the state leagues and things like that. And I think it's really important to try and capture those stories before they disappear. So that's probably something I'm thinking about a lot at the moment: is how we can do that um, so that we have them forever. Great. All right, well, let's throw it over to our audience. Is there anyone who has any questions for our panel tonight? Yes, let me just pop over with the mic. At present, the um, medal for the best AFL women's player is unnamed, which I think is scandalous. Um, and so what would be your ideas, I've got my ideas, about the name it should be given? And I think that this should be addressed pretty quickly because it's you know, but before the next season. Um, it wouldn't ever happen in AFL M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I always thought it should be the Susan Alberti medal, but then Western Bulldogs have the Susan Alberti medal now. Um, so you could probably duplicate it again, but maybe they're just waiting for Daisy Pierce to retire so they can call it the Daisy Pierce medal, which I would be all like, I'm fine with that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think it has to be a pioneer of, of the game, is my opinion. I don't think it should be any of the current players, just personally, um, because I think there's not enough recognition of that history at the moment, and those of us who are very passionate about women's footy might understand the history, but I think people who've come to the game later, those generations who might not have understood all the inequity that um, 
existed need to appreciate just how hard things were and how many volunteer hours and you know went into getting us where we are and that it wasn't the invention of the AFL. <laughs> it's probably worth noting that the VFL um, stripped the names yeah. from the VFLW medals, um, which is super disappointing. Um, so that's a huge chunk of history that's just disappeared. Can you explain that? Because I think a few people didn't know about that. Well, I've, that's the Victorian Women's Football League, their best and fairest medal and, and those sort of things were named after pioneers of, of the Victorian Women's Football League, as they rightly should be. Um, and when the VFL, when AFL Victoria took the VFLW over, am I saying that? VWFL? Yeah, I'm just yeah. mangling that. Because, yeah, it was the VWFL um, yeah. and then AFL Victoria took it over to... And made it the VFLW. VFLW yeah. And they, they just removed all those names which is like I mean that's a crime yeah. you're just like erasing a whole lot of history of women's history um, so that's a massive tangent from your question um, <laughs> but as to the name I kind of agree with Kate I think it really should re- be recognising um, you know people like Yvette Andrews who started the, the league in Sydney and, and people like people like Gemma Griffiths and Leslie Fraser that did it in Victoria and you know, Joan Huggins that did it in Western Australia. You know, those sort of names should be... Everybody should know who those people are. Yeah. So I kind of feel like it should be someone like that. Yeah. Do we have another question? What was what was your suggestion? Can I find out first? Oh, well, my ignorance, I can't go back as far as her began, but are, are you saying that the they took away... Wasn't one of the medals named the... Um, Lee Hardiman. Mm. Yeah. And, and there was also the Helen Lambert as well. Yeah, and the yeah. Helen Lambert medal. Well, I would have thought somehow in the things they award, mm. honouring those three people. I mean, as a Demon supporter, I know the work that Debbie Lee did, yeah. you know, in yeah. before and now at the, at the yeah. Bulldogs and what she did yeah. beforehand. And so I think that's what, you know... Somehow they should work out a way of doing that. I'm a bit sick of the we're making this up as we go along, and how could yeah, we, yeah. how could we not think about that? It's yeah. it's not good enough for a multi-million dollar entity to be making it up as they go along. They've got to anticipate a bit more. Uh, this is just a general question for the panel. I'm just wondering about when you think the AFLW season should take place. We're about to add two more teams next season, and then I think another four. Uh, do you think there's any merit in the idea that some games should be played before Christmas or no. should it just barrel fur- <laughs> barrel further into the men's no. season? It's a win- footy's a winter sport. Um, I think you're already putting all these players under pressure by making them play in Brisbane when it's like 8,000 degrees. Um, and I've been to that ground where they're playing Brisbane and it is not fun as a spectator. I can't imagine it's fun as a player. Um, it's It's dangerous to have people playing and I actually started playing football this year as a 31 year old woman it is tough man and like playing that um I played a practice match in 27 degrees and that was hard and I know I'm not as fit as they are but still it's I mean playing when it's 35 37 is not safe and footy is a winter sport and it should be played through winter just like it always has been and yes it's going to take some time to get there and yes you're going to have to play AFLW up against AFLM but I don't care like I'm still going to go to the AFLW and I think the AFL needs to trust the fans 
that we want this league. We have waited a lifetime for this league. Let us have it. Let us play it in winter. Let us support it. Anyway, yeah. that's me getting on my soapbox. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting question, and me and Sarah Black, who I do my podcast with, we were actually talking about this today. And the idea of conferences has been floated and all of that kind of stuff, which I'm just like, no. no. Like, that is such a bad idea to make it conferences. Mm-hmm. The football season should be that you play every single team in that league once or twice, and there's some kind of final series. I think there definitely needs to be a final series. Um, but I am of the opinion that it does need to have its fresh have fresh air at the moment, um, and I think that's really important for the league at the moment. And it's interesting to note that the WBBL that has been played alongside the BBL for three seasons in its fourth season is going to be moved to a separate season. Um, so it seems a lot of organisations, sports sporting organisations are sort of taking this stance where the women need to have their own fresh air. Fresh air, I should say, in, in, in quotations. Um, and I think the AFLW will be well served by having a season that's not clouded by a number of sporting events uh, for the time being, um, when that is, is a entirely different question, unfortunately. Uh, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, from a playing perspective, um, and I think also probably from the coach's perspective, um, I think it's really, really difficult having the season separate from your feeder teams, so the VFL. Uh, so your team that plays every week, that's great, but then you have all these players that are trying to break into the team and have nothing to do on weekends with the exception of um, uh, Adelaide. They, their, their season ran at the same time. Um, so all these Victorian teams, they don't have anywhere to develop their players. So they're getting all these young guns coming in. And if they don't break into that list or if they do only be based on injury, they, they're not getting any better because they can't play on weekends. So that's, the only, that's one of the reasons why I think that it should eventually be shifted to the same season as the VFLW, whether they shift the VFLW into the summer or they they shift it at, I don't care when, I just want to play. But <laughs> um, I just think that if they want the sport to develop, they have to give those opportunities to the girls that aren't playing. And it's like, yeah, it's not fair also for girls playing VFLW that the VFLW becomes the AFLW the second time around. <laughs> If that makes sense. They're all so tired. Yeah, so, yeah, they're all so tired, but then you have these girls that are just, like, itching to play. They've been having a whole pre-season, and then all of a sudden, you know, 10 or 12 girls are told, sorry, you can't play because everyone from Western Bulldogs is coming back to your team, um, which also isn't fair. So there's, like, logistical questions, and there's fairness, and there's equality, and all of that stuff that needs to be asked, and it seems like everything with the AFLW, it's, it's almost too hard to answer. <laughs> all of the questions yeah it seems like that doesn't it um do we have another question out there oh i just want to play devil's advocate and say why can't we really just shorten the men's league um yes or not even devil's advocate just advocate because they i'm sure all the players like it's a long season for them and i think um you know the workers rights like playing the game is really hard union? i started <laughs> i started playing as a 39 year old and it's a bloody hard game to play um what are your thoughts on the realistic kind of um, campaign that could be, you know, pushed to, to shorten the game? And do you think there's any kind of um, interest in, in shortening it from the AFL? I know there's big bucks and all of that, but could the players start a revolution? 
Oh, I would love that. Um, I actually <laughs> suggested that. I don't know, John Harms, if you remember this, but when we were on John Fain Conversation Hour, that's actually what I said. <laughs> I don't think it went down very well, but um, because it is too long. I think the AFL M season is too long, and I think there's so many quirks in the fixture and people complaining about fairness. Well, if we just because made they it, play too many games. Yeah, that's right. They yeah. could just play each other once, and then yeah, and then we would have a segment of the traditional AFL M fixture for the women. But do I think the AFL will do that? No way. <laughs> and then I, f- I also find that because of the interchange cap now, there's a lot of soft tissue injuries. So a lot of the players are breaking and they're actually having to rest a lot of the players. Mm-hmm. So would it be worthwhile just shortening it like one or two one or two games of the season? Like I do love watching it, but um, is it better for the players physically? Because mm-hmm. it is, does take a big toll. Like, I think some of the kilometers run on the weekend from the boys were 16, 17 Ks in in that short of period of time. It's unrealistic to be able to maintain that for a whole year without any kind of injury. Mm. Definitely. Definitely food for fo- food for thought. Um, I'd vote for Kate to lead that revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I'll join you, Kate. Let's go. <laughs> It'll be, yeah, this room maybe. <laughs> Against we, the world. Do we have another question? Um, this one's to Kendra and Lucy because you both play. Um, it's a pretty specific question, but what do you think of the NT Thunder's inclusion in VFLW and that you've played them, um, that they're playing, that like half of their team are AFLWs each week? Um, just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a tough question. Mm. Um, also, I was away all last week. So I'm, I play for Melbourne Uni. Um, I was away all last week, so I didn't get selected to play in the VFL. And I think I quietly said, thank God, because we were playing NT Thunder. <laughs> um, and that is because they have... They're essentially Adel- like they're Adelaide Crows. Um, I think at any one time, there was probably four girls on the field that weren't off Adelaide's list. Um, and so when you're comparing that to our list, which doesn't have a lot of AFLW players, and uh, Emma Carney got knocked out behind the play as well, so she didn't play for a half... Um, so when you put us up against that, it's it's catastrophic almost. Not to put my own team down, but it's very hard to compete with something like that. And mm. it's essentially putting a state team in a state state league competition. Um, and so they were they were always going to dominate, which is unfair. Um, and I honestly don't know the thinking behind the decision. Um, how the AFL Victoria sort of thought that that was fair, or how they came to that to include them. But at the moment, it seems that they're just going to win every single game by 70, 80 points and mm. probably take out the league. Kendra, you played them a couple of weeks ago. Was that up in Darwin? Yeah. How did yeah. you find the experience? Oh, I mean, I I played against Darwin a couple of years ago when they were at their best. So <laughs> that that uh, margin wasn't as bad as, as getting smashed by Daisy Pierce. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. I think my my understanding is that Adelaide were offered a team, they said no, then it was offered to Northern Territory and they said yes. And so players like Renee Fourth went up there to help develop talent in Northern Territory and trying to help develop a league up there. Um, and then all of a sudden, because of the ties in the AFLW, all of those players got signed up to go there. And my issue with it is that all of those Northern Territory girls that were looking forward to this chance to play now do not have that chance. Mm. Um, 
and especially because the point system um, for the Northern Territory team is different than all the other VFL teams. So anybody that plays in Northern Territory is one point, whether they're a state player, first-year player, or anything. Whereas, um, say, Melbourne Uni, if they have they have their max 10 AFLW players in, then the rest of their team has to be made up of one and two pointers and maybe a couple three pointers. So, And yeah, it's like t- maximum six points per player. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that an AFLW player is a five or six. I was talking to a girl yesterday who I play with who has just played top, sort of top level VFLW, never been drafted, and she's a five point. And she was saying to me, I don't even know how I ended up as a five point player. Wow. And I was like, are you saying, I was like, why are you saying you should be higher? Or, like, <laughs> um, but no, and she said, she sort of said, I don't know how I ended up being a five point. So then, it, yeah, then it's this whole inequitable sort of mm, weird yeah. system that we've ended up with that just, yeah. yeah. So then all of these other teams, they have to play these players that haven't played before, therefore developing the talent. So Adelaide, or sorry, Northern Territory, they, <laughs> um, they get to play the top AFLW players, and then they get to play the next best. So all the state league players for Northern Territory, rather than developing new talent up there. And I think if we're trying to make the sport better, um, I think that kind of thing needs to be addressed because uh, it has to develop everywhere. It can't just come from the top. Mm-hmm. Or Victoria. That's yeah. yeah, definitely. Do we have any more questions? Yeah, we've got a question here. Uh, Kirby, you mentioned storytelling. And I know Kate's a natural storyteller, and from what we've heard tonight, I think all of you uh, uh, love a good story. <laughs> what is it uh, in football and women's football, to you, Kirby, first, um, that attracts you as a storyteller? It's women, first of all. Um, so I really value women's stories. I think they're really important. Um, and footy is just... I don't know, it has... A friend of mine is a theatre director and, and she described it to me as like Shakespeare. You know, it has all these elements of, you know, there's there's drama and there's tragedy and there's comedy and it's got all these elements that's just like inherent in footy. So it's kind of, it's made for storytelling. And women's footy for me, um, it's mostly about all the untold stories. So all the little bits and pieces that you pick up. Um when you are trawling Trove at 3am in the morning, um, you know, when you're reading books like Play On or, um, you know, getting on social media and having all these great conversations and listening to all these podcasts and reading the footy almanac, you know, picking all those little bits and pieces up. Um, yeah, the stories are the most important thing for me. Um, you may not remember the scoreline. I'll always remember the premiership this year, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I'm going to remember standing in the rain with a vet waiting to get in and, you know, trying to find seats and and all the rest of that. It's those stories that you remember. And I also think the stories are a way that people who are not necessarily as passionate a footy fan as I may be or other people in this room may be, the stories are a way that they can connect um, because there are just some human elements that, that cross over. Um. I think for me, something I've realised is that I love underdogs and I love the story of the underdogs. Yeah, well, (laughs) duh, why do I barrack for the Western Bulldogs? Um, But, you know, well, yeah, women by nature are underdogs in a way. Um, But that's why, like, um, when Kendra brought up Sarah Perkins and 
that image before I was just smiling because um, last year at the Guardian they asked me to do like a sports person of the year or whatever and I said oh I want to do Sarah Perkins <laughs> and um, some of them were a bit like well, who's that and um, and um, I was like well you know let me tell you her story she is an underdog and she is a champion and um yeah and I yeah I had that image in my mind of her just with their arms spread out and yeah did an interview with her and um wrote up this feature for the end of the year and yeah I remember I actually talked about her too in my Guardian interview because they asked me who my favorite sports person was and I said oh like first person who came to mind was Sarah Perkins and um you know they were like oh we expected you know to talk about Manchester United or something and I'm like well you obviously don't know me at all because (laughs) I would never be a Man United fan but yeah I was like I'm always on the side of the underdog so yeah I think um that's probably my personal contribution yeah I think Kirby said it best for me and it's like I started doing journalism because I wanted to tell stories like that was the whole thing that I wanted to do and I think sport I have a really good relationship with sport I think um and that like I don't know I'm a bit of a weirdo I like watch I was watching the highlights packages of players that I've never seen play before in my life like Terry Wallace and David Neitz and like I don't even have an emotional connection to the team or the player but I'll cry like <laughs> I'm standing on a train and like I'm crying over football like pretty much every single day so like don't come near me during finals when they get it all gets really romantic um but I think it is because of that it's the romantic aspect of the whole thing and I also like to think that sport is sort of like a microcosm of society the issues that exist in sport that are always so pronounced are sometimes the issues that we fail to see in our everyday lives or in our real lives um sometimes I think telling the stories in sport and women's sport especially is a good way to explore what else is sort of like the bigger picture and what's going on in our own lives and outside and yeah I think the emotional connection to sport and also my delusions of grandeur that I have all the time of trying to be the best that I possibly can be is something that also really draws me towards sport as well yeah Uh, mine's going to be like very different but mine is probably how dynamic footy is Um, so visually there's always something different going on I don't know um Soccer is everything with your feet and basketball with your hands. Rugby is just the tackling, whereas there's always something interesting happening happening in footy all the time, whether it's you're watching the ball or it can be off the ball and somebody's running, somebody's pushing, leading, tackling. There's, it's just always interesting, and it's explosive, and it's energizing and passionate, and I think that's what I like to capture in it. You're just giving me chills. Like, jeez, <laughs> that's amazing. Do we have one last question? Um, I don't think anyone's going to argue with me if I say uh, from the get-go the management of the AFLW from the AFL has been pretty awful. (laughs) Um, If all of you were, if the AFL came to you in 2016 and said we want you to set up this league for us um, like what would you do? Like which clubs would you give licences to? How would you do player recruitments? Like when would the season be played? And just those kind of things. Would you change rules to create a special sport just for women? Um, so, so what would you? What would your ideal AFLW look like if you had been able to set it up yourself? That's a big question. Yeah, that's a huge question. That's one. So you know you have oh, to. Mine make would be it a really short out. answer. I would handball it to Darren Flanagan, who's been running the, um, well the, 
VWFL for ages until it turned into the VFLW, but he always is watching women's football every single weekend on every level, and he's just very passionate and invested and seems to know everything, and yeah, I would just, like, <laughs> you take this. I had this conversation with my dad the other day because he's... Um, does a lot of game development or has been working game development for 12 years at Cricket Australia and Cricket Victoria and um, he sort of said and I agreed with a lot of what he said but I think the fact that there isn't any sort of pathway for women um, in terms of administration or coaching or any sort of role like that, that needs to be set up immediately essentially so there are more women getting in there and I think I'm pretty happy with happy with how things have gone on so far in terms of the running but behind the scenes I would definitely get those women that started those state leagues to even be a steering committee or to have some sort of say in what has been going on and also I think with season two and hopefully going to season three they pay some marketing person or PR or someone to create some kind of campaign because there was absolutely nothing for season two and that was the biggest disappointment for me of season two, that there was... Season one, there was all this excitement. People were excited for it to happen. Season two, people said to me that they like that people thought it was like a one-year thing that they were doing. They didn't realise that it was like a forever thing because the AFL just failed to advertise it. So for me, it simply would come down to yeah having those women that know what they're doing on a steering committee or in administration roles and two, just advertising it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's so important is actually having, again, if we go back to pioneers who, and the history that's been erased, having a lot of those women's voices involved in the future of the competition and the game because um, as it stands, yeah, it sort of became this this product that the AFL yanked and, and you know, um, yeah, didn't think through uh, in the long term and um, made a whole lot of... Yeah, decisions on the run. Um, I'd, I'd like to see it be a competition for all women. I think banning Hannah Muncy from the draft the day beforehand was a disgrace. Um, I think, I think, I think they've shown, and they're not inviting women's voices back into the picture, even when it's been made quite clear that, um, yeah, that those voices are now absent or people have been turned away from the game or people have, have left bitter or, you know, finding a way to, to bring those voices back into the fold so that um, the people who are most affected are actually being consulted and, and driving decision-making would be huge. There should be a campaign that's hashtag bring back Shiloh Curtis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly who I was yeah. thinking about, actually. Women like that who had incredible hand in in growing the game and and know it so well um and who actually haven't been approached by the afl as far as i know um she's in golf now so you know that's the real shame is that you do lose those those women when they're they're yeah um when they have to like make money to pay the bills yeah yeah yeah. But yes, one final thing, which is the coverage. Um, like I kept harping on about it, and people thought I was mad, and I wouldn't shut up. But you know, having, even just having it on Seven Mate, like everyone was like, "I don't get why you keep talking about this, Kate." Like everybody can watch Seven Mate, and it's like, yeah, but well, for a start, more people, you know, watch the main the main channels. But but also that's symbolic. That's 
you know, it's it's season two and we already don't think this is a product worthy of our main channel. And when and I don't know if you remember, but when that information came out, leaked into the media about the memo, it was in an article about how bad the TV ratings were for the first game. And it wasn't even shown all around Australia. It was only in certain capital cities. Um, and there were only a couple of games per round that were actually even available on, on free-to-air television. So don't tell me that didn't have an effect. And, yeah. and to blame that on the quality to, to, to you know, tie that in with, with the numbers, the viewers, as if it was the fault of the product and not of the way that it was marketed and managed was one of the worst things that happened in Season 2 for and you me. you can compare that to, like, the AFL has no standing to be like... We didn't put on. The, we have no say in it not being on the main channel because same thing happened during the women's Ashes last year. It got was on Gem or whatever for Channel Nine, and um, James Sutherland called up Channel Nine and said, "You've got match reruns happening on Channel Nine. Why isn't the women's cricket on?" And he, he James Sutherland pushed to have the women's cricket on the main channel. So you know, it just seems like the Al- the AFL isn't like an ally to its own product as well. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, I would pay them. Pay them the money that would enable them to be full-time professional athletes because that is how you have development. You need time and you need money. Um, you can't buy time, but you can give people money. And it's not like the AFL doesn't have the cash. I'm sure they could just rustle it up out of the, you know, the spare change that's down the couch at AFL House. Um, I, I would pay them. I would pay them a full-time wage, a full-time living wage so that they wouldn't also have to be teachers and police officers and midwives and God knows whatever else they are. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that. I think they're amazing. I think every AFLW player is a superhero. Like, they're just incredible women. But pay them. Pay them the money that they deserve. That's what I would have done from the get-go. And that also sends a strong message to the community that the AFL... Believes in believes in the AFLW. They believe in the players, and they're going to support them. Yeah. So that's yeah. what I would have done. We forget yeah. that we're expecting a professional product from part-time athletes. Yes, mm. which is I think is something that a lot of people forget. Which can easily change, as you're saying, since so easily change. They can do it. Yeah, they exactly. can do it tomorrow. Yeah. Because I think you've got someone going out being a. a police officer and doing a I don't know what their shifts are like eight hours ten hours probably doing shift work probably working night shift and then you're expecting them to then show up to training and and train like a professional athlete and then they've got to maybe fly into state for a Mm. game like I mean that's exhausting Mm. so pay them give them the cash speaking of Charlotte Curtis she told me that if all the men in the AFL took a 1% pay cut, it would be a 50% pay rise for all the women. And that just like, I remember, I'm not very good with math, so I made the whole Guardian office figure out if that was true. (laughs) (laughs) And it was. And also I figured out that they could triple their wages and still have a profit of over 50 million, the AFL. And the AFL is a not-for-profit. They're a non-for-profit. So they're not here to make cash for shareholders. We're their shareholders. The fans are the shareholders, the players. So they shouldn't be making a million, million, million dollar profit. That should be reinvested back into the competition, and you do that by investing in the players. Revolution, who's in? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Big all of us here. (laughs) All right, we have one last question from... um, Oh, no? We're all good? 
We're okay. We're all going to wrap it up then. All right. Well, can we all please thank our marvellous panel? Thank Kato Halloran, Kirby Fenwick, Lucy Watkin, and Kendra Heil for sharing their stories, experiences, and points of view with us tonight. And thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you to everyone listening on Women's Australian Rules Football Radio and RSN Carnival. Thank you to the Fitzroy Victoria Bowls and Sporting Club for hosting us. And we're really looking forward to bringing you the Women's Footy Almanac book in July. So take care and we'll see you later. Thank you. We just bumped into a special guest who just came along to watch and has been seconded and brought across to have a little bit of a chat with us. We spoke to her earlier in the year. Alex Sortner from the GB Swans, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And it's so good to meet you in real life. (laughs) Indeed, don't worry. You can vouch I've got a face for radio as you see me right here. When we spoke to you, you were about to begin the journey to come to Melbourne to play Aussie Rules football. You're 81, 82 days into that mm-hmm. trip. Can you give us a little bit of a, a snapshot of the highlights so far? Um, the highlights, well, certainly being able to see AFLW live. Um, that was amazing. I got to go to quite a few games um, and to see the grand final, the Bulldogs to win. So happy for Lawrence Bark. It was amazing. Um, and then just getting down to footy and immersing myself in Melbourne Uni, um, being able to train with so many girls has been awesome and just the camaraderie um, of everyone has been wicked. Is that a little bit disorientating when you come to a training session? Because I believe like at Nottingham you might be training with half a dozen girls to Mm -hmm. a dozen girls to essentially have three sides out on the park. So you're talking about 60-odd women every training night is it hard to get your bearings about where everything is going? Because it's not one drill that's happening at once. It's multiple drills going on around the ground. Yeah, so uh, at the moment we're split um, into the three teams. So you've got the VFL, the VAFA Prems, and then the VAFA Community. Um, and that's who I'm training with at the moment. Um, so there tends to be about 30 to 35 girls in our training group. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's so beneficial because we can actually do proper game sense training you know we can have massive drills uh match play simulation which just helps so much to then transfer that to the weekend um but yeah it can be difficult sometimes within our group we're then split off to three other groups um and do sub drills so you might be doing tackling uh with one person and then goal shooting with another coach so it's good you just get a lot more variety um and it helps being able to learn off so many different people and look at their different techniques has there, as much as we all allegedly speak the same English language, has there been anything that's been lost in translation out there when you're doing your drills? Um, not too much, no. Luckily, from watching a lot of uh, AFL and AFLW, um, I know most of the, the lingo, so it's been okay. But no, there's Cadders uh, at training has also been teaching me uh, anything that I don't know. And generally, it's just that Australians shorten most words. <laughs> that, that, that helps out. An American helping you as well, which is, I find interesting with Katie Glatt being there. Um, we know at the moment you're not playing because of the shoulder injury. Can you give us an update on, on how it happened and what happened? Uh, yeah, so it was something that I initially did uh, last August at the IC. Um, it was a subluxation of the shoulder, and um, it's gone another four times since. Uh, So I was just at training at the end of March, went up to spoil the ball, and it just pushed my shoulder out of 
joint again. So I've been in rehab since, um, working with the physio at Melbourne Uni. Um, we've been slowly increasing my weight for my rehab exercises. And last week I was allowed to start to do overhead marks again. Unfortunately, I had a slight twinge um, on Thursday. So at the physio this morning, um, I've just got to reduce the weight back down again um, just till it sorts itself out. What is the prognosis? Is there hope that you'll be, at least in the second half of the season, be out there running around for the muggers? Um, I'm not sure. I'm a bit more apprehensive about it because my end goal at the moment is the Euro Cup in October. Mm -hmm. Um, I've sent some footage to the English coach hoping that I can be picked. Hello Mitch Skelly. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, that's my end goal. So I don't want to jeopardize that by coming back too early. And certainly after having four subluxations in seven months, I need to make sure that my shoulder is definitely strong enough before getting back on the pitch. And fair enough, because that Euro Cup will be interesting. It's being played in Cork this year. Defending champions, the England Vixens. And after speaking to her a couple of weeks ago, if everything goes right and the Giants permit her to play, Cora Staunton could be lining up for the Irish Banshees. Yes, that would be very interesting. I would love to be able to play against an AFLW player. Um, so yeah, so from a personal point of view, it's very exciting. But from yeah. an English point of view and wanting to retain the title, um, it will make it a lot harder for us. But um, I think, yeah, I think we've got the players that will will be able to stop her. Just fingers crossed Laura Duray doesn't take a summer holiday or something like oh, that. Yeah. Goes, to, goes, <laughs> yeah. to, goes to join as well. Um, we were talking off here about some of the players that might uh, take to her. Um, one of them at the moment who's stepped away from Aussie rules but hopefully can be persuaded back, particularly if there is the challenge of taking on Cora Staunton, Beth Bailey. Yes, I will definitely be talking to Beth and trying to persuade her to come back. Um, obviously, she got in the world team at the IC um, and she was our player's player of the tournament. So we definitely would love to have her uh, at fullback marking Cora Staunton. Now, you've obviously paid your $20 to come on down to watch tonight the, the women's footy panel, which will begin, everyone will hear live on here at 6.30pm. Casey Simons hosting... Kate O'Halloran from The Guardian, Kirby Fenwick, who produced the first Friday in February, uh, Lucy Watkin, our very own Lucy Watkin, and also from ABC Grandstand, and, of course, Kendra Hall, the Canadian. Mm -hmm. She's also another IC player, IC14, um, now playing for Essendon VFLW. What are you hoping to learn or, or garner or absorb in from this panel tonight? Oh, just everything. The knowledge of uh, the panel is so extensive. And, you know, I read uh, everything on Twitter and stuff, and I'm trying to learn as much as, as possible. And, you know, reading some of the articles in The Guardian and stuff like that. So to be here and to be able to hear it live, yeah, I just want to absorb everything and hopefully learn a lot more about the game. Has the bug bitten harder for you for Aussie Rules Football being over here, being involved in the community and everything like ha happening like that from... Perspective A, going to AFLW games. And perspective B, the little things. When you're not playing, you've been taught how to goal umpire, how to timekeep as well. What does that all mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really good that I'm getting to do all the volunteering for the club and, yeah, uh, learn the uh, goal umpiring technique, uh, <laughs> which I even got a cheer after doing my first flag signal, uh, so that was good. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely immersing myself in AFL um, before coming here, I didn't really watch the men's competition um, because it's on everywhere. I've really got into that, and I, I'm loving Friday nights at um, PAs, going to watch uh, the Friday night match with the girls after training. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, 
well, I was disappointed that the Crows lost uh, the D's um, at the weekend, although Laura Turner-Ramadan was extremely happy and rubbed it in a bit. <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping that the Crows can uh, bounce back and win the, win the flag this year. Of course, a lot of Australians are quite jealous about um, like English supporters when it comes to English soccer being, you know, the, the great chants and songs that they do and that kind of community aspect. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to playing Aussie rules or anything like that, do you have, even at a small club like Nottingham, anything similar to the community aspect we have back here, which is everyone getting together and drinks? And when we do that, it essentially happens weekly. Um, yeah, we don't have stuff um, weekly, but we do. We've got a great community spirit, and whenever the lads are playing, the women will come down and support. We do a barbecue, try and make it a fun day. Um, and then after trainings, there's a pub just opposite um, our training pitch, so we go over there and have a few bevies together. Um, so, yeah, we really try and create that community feel, and definitely down in London. Um, I've never felt anything like it where the whole club is just behind whichever team is playing. It's normally four teams from the same club are playing on the same day at the same ground and just, yeah, the carnival atmosphere, sunny day in London, barbecues on, drinks are flowing. Yeah, it's pretty special. Do you think it's kind of crazy about all of those, similar to yourself, that have made the journey down here? You've come down, Katie Klatz here for her third year. Jessica Bleck has come down from the United States. And a player you would have taken on a, a couple of times, Colleen Takei from, uh, from France, from the European Crusaders. She's now arrived and rumour has it training with Darabin. Oh, wow. No, it's impressive. It's great to see that so many uh, women are coming over and trying to develop the game and obviously whatever they can do and I can do to take it back to their home countries and just promote it more and develop the game outside of Australia um, is amazing. Well, Alex, thank you very much for spending some time with us here on RSN Carnival. You came here to enjoy the night, so I better let you enjoy the night. Eat the pies, (laughs) the chips, the drinks and everything that's on offer. Enjoy the rest of this evening, and fingers crossed that we see you out there on the footy ground sooner. Thank you. Okay, let's check out round four action from the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition over the weekend. And joining us on the line, our lead caller here at RSN Carnival, Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? I'm very well, Pete. Another interesting round of Victorian women's football. Uh, That's the only way I can describe 2018 at the moment. Very interesting. It started on Saturday morning at Werribee of all places, where Melbourne Uni, being North Melbourne's affiliate, three one nineteen, was smacked by the NT Thunder, three ten eighty eight. Yeah, a game we expected the Northern Territory Thunder to get a decent win in, uh, despite them for the first time coming off uh, a bit of travelling. They had to buy in round two, which means uh, the round three and four back-to-back games is the first time. The Thunder have played in Darwin and then played immediately in Victoria. So it was going to be interesting to see whether fatigue was any sort of a factor. It doesn't look like it on the score, but a very convincing win to the Northern Territory Thunder. As we mentioned in the week on the weekend in our uh, match day broadcast, you do have to remember that this Thunder side, whilst it has got a, a number of Crows plays in it, It's also essentially a representative side of the Northern Territory uh, leagues with uh, a lot of their talent playing in this team. So it's a very strong outfit. It's going to take a lot to beat, as we have discussed uh, a couple of times already. Um, So they are a very, very strong outfit. And the Muggers, well, we know they've been decimated with uh, departures prior to the start of the season. They're trying to grow and 
and develop as they prepare for North Melbourne to come into the competition in 2019. And speaking of North Melbourne, two of their recruits, Ashley Riddle and Kate Gillespie-Jones, got goals on the weekend. Sophie Abitangelo got the other one. Whilst for the Northern Territory, Thunder Hickey Rajik Sanandri got three goals. Nalda with two. Swanson and Riley, the other goal kickers for the Northern Territory Thunder. Let's have a look at the game that kicked off at midday. It was Darabin and the KC Demons in the end. Uh, Darabin comfortable winners, 11-7-73 to the KC Demons, one three nine. Yeah, this was, a, was one of those results. I thought KC were going to give Darabin a little bit of a shake and be quite competitive. And, uh, well, really, after quarter time, they, they weren't. They only trailed by uh, seven points at half time, but uh, after that, Darabin blew them out of the water. Um, Hannah Mouncey leading the way with five goals to her name, Giron with two, Gardner two, and Hammond with one, whilst Guthridge was the only goal kicker, and that goal came in the first quarter for the Casey Demons. Not a great start to 2018 for them. Just looking down at some of the statistics from this game, the inside 50 count, 34 to 19, as you'd expect with the, the goal-kicking power up forward that Darabin had. Uh, but also interesting to note that they had 49 hitouts compared to two. Let's have a look at the game that was played between the Western Bulldogs and Collingwood. The Doggies, probably their best result. It was still a loss, but they're getting closer on the scoreboard compared to a couple of heavy losses they had early in the season. Uh, 4-6-30 going down to Collingwood, 6-2-38. Yeah, it wasn't looking good at three-quarter time for them, though. They had only scored one goal five up until that point, and Collingwood had a very healthy lead, but they responded in the final term, and it was... Nice that they've been able to put some respect on the scoreboard in this game. Yes, as you said, it's a loss, but their losses to date have been quite, uh, well, profound, I think would be one way of describing it. The the scoreboard just hasn't uh, looked kind on them at all. So nice to see that uh, they're able to score a few goals, whether that was because Collingwood turned the pressure off after three-quarter time, unsure. Uh, but it's nice to see that uh, the, the Western Bulldogs at least look competitive on the scoreboard. Goal kickers in this game. Bateman kicked three for Collingwood. Lambert, Alexander and Whitford, the other goal kickers. Whilst for the Bulldogs, Frankie, Butler, McKay and Jolly were their goal kickers in the victory. And just having a look down, uh, Bree White was the leading disposal getter on the ground for the Western Bulldogs. 21 touches on the weekend. Birch came in at number two for the Bulldogs, so the top two possession getters on the ground going the way of the Doggies, whilst Jamie Lambert continues her impressive form. 19 touches and one goal to her name as well. And Bree White, of course, as you said, getting the most possession. She's the one that's actually retired from AFLW football, hanging up her boots after two seasons with the Magpies, ironically. Uh, in the twilight game at Cadinia Park, the Cats, 8 managed to shake off the Blues, 7-2-44. Yeah, it was, this was a real arm wrestle of a game. It was all tied up at quarter time. Blues led at uh, half time and three-quarter time in Geelong came in over the top uh, as you would expect or as I expected them to. They uh, were playing on their home deck and um, they they 
just seem to be uh, one of the more stable sides of the competition at the moment, the Cats. So uh, expecting them to do big things in 2018 and they got a good win like all good sides do. They came from behind and got over the top of Carlton who, as we've made mention already, are playing a lot of their AFLW stars early in the season. Goal kickers in this game, Federally kick three for the Cats, Derby two, or Currency and Clifford, the other goal kickers, whilst Vessio continues her impressive uh, early season form. Four goals for the Blues on the weekend. Hanks, Dalton and Brianne Moody, the other goal kickers for the Blues. On Sunday morning, we were at Trevor Barker Beach Oval in Sandringham to see the Southern Saints 9660 account for Essendon 3624. Yeah, this was a, a competitive game up until the final term. Uh, probably two sides that are relatively equal, so to speak. The Southern Saints only have one former AFLW-listed player on their list, whilst Essendon have a couple of experience. Essendon's bottom six are probably a little more green when it comes to uh, state league football compared to uh, the Southern Saints. So this was a, an even contest for, for much of the game. Essendon had multiple opportunities in the third term to score. In fact, they had five scoring shots to just one. Those five scoring shots were behinds for the Bombers. The one for the Southern Saints was a goal. So the Saints just capitalising more on the opportunities that they got in their game. And they're, they're a, it looks like they're a consistent outfit too. First time seeing the Southern Saints live they look like they've got an evenly balanced squad um so not sure whether they're going to rattle the cage too much towards the back end of 2018 but you would expect them to be competitive goal kickers in this game and it was a good spread for the southern saints Munn kicked two bahana brown uh, in fact the two browns uh, got on the board eleanor brown got one as well as the 23rd player on the weekend drennan DeAngelis, who was lively up forward, Johnson and Rapari, the goal kickers for the Southern Saints, whilst Quigley uh, kicked two and Kearney kicked one for the Bombers on the weekend. And finally, at point, Jolly Brown, the Seagulls have finally got on the board, 8-4-52, defeating Richmond, 3-3-21. Yeah, again, a side under a little bit of pressure, similar to the Western Bulldogs, Williamstown, they needed a good result, and, and they got it on the weekend. Uh, as you said, a, a decent decent victory over the Tigers. Uh, we've mentioned a couple of times that they've got some good talent on the Seagulls list, and it's good to see that it seemed to gel on the weekend for them. Goal kickers, Harris kicked two, Williamson, Seabrook, Paterno, Duffin, Cross, and Garner for Williamstown, whilst for Richmond, Tessariero kicked two goals, and Wakefield was the other goal kicker in this game. Leading possession getter on the ground was Jess Duffin with 33 touches. Uh, an incredible feat for uh, women's football. It's not too often that we get into those heights uh, with stats. So impressive performance. In fact, a very impressive start to the VFLW season for Jess Duffin's kicked uh, a number of goals for, for Williamstown and, and has been racking up disposals. So Impressive form as she prepares to head to North Melbourne for the AFLW 2019 competition. 
Hawthorne with the buy in round four. Let's look ahead to round five action for your predictions and a handful of good games amongst the mix here. Let's start first of all with fourth taking on second at Box Hill City Oval, Saturday, 2nd of June, 11.30am, Hawthorne hosts Collingwood. This is a real interesting game. There's that word again. Uh, Hawthorne obviously coming off the bye, but uh, they've been one of the dominant sides of the competition early on. Coming up against Collingwood, who are also a very good side. Expecting the Hawks to get over the line, but it's not going to be by much. This is going to be a really, really good contest. So if you're near Box Hill City Oval, get on down and have a look because this is going to be a ripping game of football. Then at Icon Park at 11.30am on Saturday, it is 7th versus 6th. Carlton take on Darabin. Another very, very interesting game. Uh, Two sides that... Uh, have had, well, a couple of blips on the radar. Uh, Carlton a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Darabin obviously in round one, but they've both had some very good form as well. Going to go with Carlton just be, purely because of the talent on their list if it's selected. However, Darabin have a fairly midfield back in play when you've got the likes of Myth and Paxman, and who knows, maybe O'Day might feature this weekend. At the Swinburne Centre, Punt Road Oval, 4pm on Saturday. It is 9th versus 12th, Richmond versus Essendon. It will be our Saturday match of the day. We're live on air at 3pm to bring you all the Dreamtime ceremonies beforehand. And then the big match gets underway at 4 o'clock. And Coxie, we could be expecting a fairly big crowd there as well, with, of course, uh, being at the MCG immediately afterwards, the men's AFL Dreamtime game. Yeah, and I like that both... uh both Richmond and Essendon in the VFL women's competition will be wearing the Guernseys, the uh, Indigenous Guernseys, uh, just like the men will be in the AFL match at the MCG. So I think that's a great initiative. Well done to both clubs for getting behind it. Uh, going to tip Richmond, when we saw them two weeks ago, uh, was impressed with their endeavour and con- contest around the ground. For me, Essendon are just... Still trying to find that rhythm and consistency around the ground. They they come in and out of games, and I just think Richmond will just be that little bit better uh, when it comes to hitting the scoreboard. Then Saturday, 4pm Central Standard Time, the NT Thunder host the Western Bulldogs at TIO Stadium, that match being 3rd versus 13th. Yeah, expecting Northern Territory Thunder to to get another big, big winner up up in the uh, Northern Territory against the Bulldogs. Yes, they were respectable on the weekend, the Western Bulldogs, but uh, I think they're going to get steamrolled in this game, unfortunately. At Point Jellybrand, Sunday morning, 11.30am, 8th versus 11th, Williamstown versus the Casey Demons. Another interesting game. Uh, Casey, they're now under the pump. They need to put in a respectable performance uh, on the scoreboard at least um, and uh, kick a few goals in this game. Williamstown, I think, will start to generate a bit of momentum now having got their first win under their belt for 2018. So I'm going to tip them at home. And then finally, our Sunday match of the day here on RSN Carnival Digital Radio at Melbourne University Main Oval, Tin Alley as we like to call it. We're on air at 2pm, bounce down 2.30pm on Sunday. 
Melbourne Uni versus Geelong. And in a quirk of the draw, these two sides actually played a month ago in round one. Yeah, and Geelong had a very good victory that day down at GMHBA Stadium, whatever it's called, Kidinia Park, um, and would be expecting them to get the win uh, in this game as well. I think the Muggers will be a little more competitive than what they were in that round one loss, um, but I just think uh, Geelong's just got that bit of class about them at the moment that will get them over the line. The Southern Saints having the bye this week. And a reminder that the week after will be a general bye for the VFL women's competition. Coxie, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football, our midweek show. And we look forward to catching up with you on Saturday at 3pm where we bring you Richmond and Essendon at Punt Road Oval. Yeah, looking forward to it. Should be a, a great game. And as you said, should be a, a fairly good atmosphere there as well. If you are making your way to the MCG, get into town that little bit early and come and watch some of the Swiss Wellness VFL women. And welcome back to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio in Melbourne and on the RSN Racing and Sport app. Let's return to our State Leagues wrap to find out what's been happening around the country. We'll be catching up soon with Aaron Russell and Lauren Hodgson. But first of all, to Western Australia, where Round 8 of the WAWFL was played over the weekend. Subiaco, formerly known as the Coastal Titans, 2-12-24, went down to the Peel Thunderbirds, 6-2-38. Perth Angels, 4-2-26, defeated by South Fremantle, 7-13-55. In a close one, West Perth 3-4-22 defeated Claremont 2-7-19, whilst Swan Districts 4-5-29 went down to East Fremantle 6-11-47. This weekend coming up, there is a bye in the WAWFL. Action returns on the 9th of June, a Saturday twilight game, 5pm at Leaderville Oval, where Subiaco hosts West Perth. On Sunday, June 10th, Hill Thunderbirds host Perth Angels, Claremont host East Fremantle and Swan Districts host South Fremantle. Across to South Australia for the Adelaide Footy League Women's Competition, the National One Plumbing Division One competition. On Saturday, Christie's Beach 15-6-106 defeated Port Adelaide two behind. Adelaide University 11-7-73 defeated Salisbury 3-2-20, while Fitzroy 5-1-31 were defeated by Morfordville Park 10-11-71. Looking at round seven action this weekend, a Saturday night game at Salisbury Oval where the Salisbury Magpies host the Port Adelaide Magpies. On Sunday at 3pm at Callet Reserve, Morfordville Park host Adelaide University. And Sunday 3.30pm at John Bice Memorial Oval, Christie's Beach host Fitzroy. It's time to find out what's been happening in the QWAFL over the weekend and joining us on the line, Cullen Gatta-Tweed, Premiership Coach Aaron Russell. Aaron, how are you? Uh, Peter, always well up in Queensland. Mate, it's always sunny up there. And just before we begin the uh, QWAFL review, uh, I guess some good news for the Lions. After losing a number of players, they've picked up one mm. in Lauren Arnell from Carlton and uh, this began this signing process of some of their current stars. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you you know, when you start uh, start losing some some uh, Victorian talent back to Victoria, it's nice to get one back. And um, you know, I'm, after a number of years of playing some really good footy, um, you know, out, in or outside of uh, AFLW, I really think uh, Lauren's got some ability to get back to you know some of her best, and hopefully she can find some of that form up here in uh, in, in Brisbane. 
Well, as they say, a change is good as a holiday. Let's have a look at round seven of the uh, Bond University QWAFL. Uh, we start with the first game. Yoronga South Brisbane had a fight on their hands against Marucci. Door 4 6 defeating the Roos 3-3-21. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Roos put up a, a great fight on the road uh, down here in Brisbane. Um, young side, developing side, and they lost some of their you know, talented stars at the start of this year um, to some Brisbane teams. Um, you know, in, in Shannon Campbell um, and uh, Tali Randall's younger sister as well, um, a couple other juniors. So, you know, they, they've done they're doing well, um, really, with with you know the bring the talent they've sort of um, they're bringing up through the ranks, and they end up picking up Rachel Crack as well from uh, Cooparoo, and she's been playing pretty well for them up there uh, in, in Sunshine uh, Sunshine Coast. Um, but yeah, Yuronga are getting the chocolates in the end. Um, the likes of Bliss Bates, uh, Emily Bates. Good, good to see her back and playing some great footy uh, at Quaffle level. Um, you'd expect nonetheless. Uh, Emma Ashelman uh, bobbing up, giving a goal as well. Not a noted goal kicker, but kicking a goal and playing well uh, through the midfield and off half back for them. Um, she's moved down from, from Gladstone uh, to play her footy here. Um, and, and good to see her uh, starting to make some, some uh, inroads. Uh, towards that, and and Dee Hislop, a young uh, coastal girl who's up here now playing for Yeronga in Brisbane, um, knows how to find the footy, uh, and hope hopefully uh, in a couple of years might get her chance at AFLW level as well. But yeah, too strong uh, in the end was uh, Yeronga. Wilston Grange thirteen ten eighty eight easily accounted for Cullingatta Tweed one one seven. Yeah, definitely. So Wilson just flexing their muscle again. Um, against against Cooley, uh, yeah, never, never in it were they really, um, and and just kicking away four four goals, um, not much of a second a third quarter, um, but yeah, pretty much just kicking away um, there. Never, as I said, never in it. Uh, Lutkin's playing a really good game for for Grange. You'd probably expect nothing less. A bunch of players uh, chipping in well for them. Membry. Um, Gibson, I remember he's looking at the bar- down the barrel of playing for the Suns when they come in. Um, Gibson, as we know, is, is down back down heading with Victoria for next year. Uh, and Delma, who's not doing her um, chances of, of playing in AFLW uh, next year any harm as well, bobbing up, kicking a couple of goals and transitioning from a small defender to a small forward this year for Grange and finding success there. Um, Cooley, on the other hand, um, Beth Pynchon fighting hard all day down back. Um, but, yeah, still missing some of their stars uh, in Kassler and Maddie Roberts as well. Um, they will they'll find, might find the going tough until they get back some of their some of their elite. And finally, Cooper Roo, 6-5-41, getting over the line against UQ, 3-4-22. It might say 19 points the difference, but the game was actually a bit closer than that. Yeah, definitely. A uh, close one, we... This was probably the match of the round going into it, um, and uh, for for a number of reasons, both sides, you know, you, you, Cooperoo are, are going to start to make their charge, I think, towards the finals, and and uh, showing or well, going to pose some threat to to Wilson Grange come the end of the year, and and UQ have started to get some their players back, and they're building some momentum, um, and we've had uh, quite a number of players jump between these two sides over the last couple of years, so. There's, Definitely a bit of a heated one, and good to see Jess Wushner back out on the park. Um, only kicking the goal this time, so a little bit, 
a few less goals than what you'd probably expect to see her on the goal-kicking sheet. Um, but Jess Wilson, her timing in with one goal there. Um, and really only the fourth quarter being the difference. It was pretty close um, throughout the, the whole match. And uh, UQ only being a goal uh, behind at each change. Um, but you that Cooper winning by uh, two goals uh, at the end of the game. So good job, uh, Cooper and I think a fair effort from Wooshera as well, because I think she'd only been back in Queensland for a day after arriving from the US. Mind you, she had flown from Boston to Los Angeles with a 10-hour layover, then another flight, and then I think a day to kind of rest and recharge before jet lag kicked in, then ran out there to kick a goal. Yeah, you'd expect nothing less. So you still wanted to kick two or three, wouldn't you, Pete? But no, <laughs> it's good to see her back out there and... Um pretty much playing uh, playing deep in the in the forward line for them and, and causing a bit of havoc. And great to see Sally Young as well. Um, she's gone through a, a hell of a hell of a road uh, in terms of injury. Um, and, and she's uh, yeah, started to find play one game in the in the reserves and now she's back out there um, in the quaffle, which is exactly where you want to see her and, and she's the heart and soul of of, of that club uh, as far as the, the women's go and um, yeah, it's fantastic to see her out there and, and uh, you know, wishing her a really great year moving forward. So let's have a look at round eight action. It's this weekend, all games on Saturday. First of all, 4.45 at UQ Oval 2, uh, University of Queensland playing host to Yoronga South Brisbane. Yeah, definitely. Uh, got a few good games here. I think this this is probably shaping up. Um, you know, we've probably got three really quality games actually coming in as far as, far as what you'd expect, um, you know, to be close games. Uh, I think this this one here, UQ uh, v Yuronga. Yuronga um, is starting to slowly build on an extremely slow start to their season. Um, starting to get some players back. Bates was in good form last week. UQ pretty much in the same boat as Yuronga um, regarding their season, and it has been a slow start for them. But you know, it's round eight now, and, and neither side can really afford to lose too many more, um, you know, if they're to push uh, for the finals. They've still got to overtake the likes of Bond and Cooley uh, if both are to jump them um, and, and make it into the top four. So, yeah, this, this one, I'm really hoping it comes down to the wire here, um, you know, and, and obviously you're wrong. Two games still clear of UQ, but I, I really think this is almost a must win for UQ here to make, make their finals run. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, the season's really on the line here with this game, I think. Um, could be a really close one, very hard to pick, and I reckon we're looking out for a uh, for a nail-biter here. Wilston Grange versus Cooperu Bendigo Bank Oval, 4.45pm. It's the front runners versus the reigning premiers. That's it. Who can knock them off? Uh, Cooperu are in much better shape than they were last time these two sides met. Um, but is it going to be enough uh, to, to beat a a rampant running Wilson Grange um, who are at full strength um, playing some beautiful footy um, improving each week they've got a really well balanced side um, good use uh, good mature age players um, you know good in, in most parts of the ground um, not too many holes uh, in the Wilson Grange outfit Can will this be the round? it's going to be tough to say they're, they're going to be up against it here Cooper um, on the weekend against Wilson Grange, um, but let's let's hope for a, a competitive game. And finally, um, five pm at Maroochydore Oval, it's the Roos hosting Bond University. 
Yeah, big trip here. So Bond uh, all the way up um, through Brisbane, all the way up the coast uh, to play Maroochydore in Maroochydore. So massive home ground advantage from Maroochydore and coming off the back of a pretty strong performance uh, last week uh, on the road. So I'll be relishing the opportunity to, to have a win against Bond um, up there. And oh, again, I reckon this will be a really close game. i really intrigued to find out how this one goes. I won't be making the trip up there, but um, you know, this, this, this probably stands as anyone's game. And if Bond were to, to hang on um, to, to fourth position and, and sneak into the finals in their first year in the competition, this is the game that they need to win. They, they can't really afford to drop this uh, game at all against Maroochydore, who are currently sitting on the bottom of the ladder by percentage. So they really need a win here um, if they're a show uh, come season's end and, and to hold off the... Uh, the closing Yeronga and UQ, so the must win for Bond. Um, but I think uh, you know this is probably one Maroochydore can win, um, and, and hopefully it's going to be a really tight contest. Well, Aaron, thank you very much again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review Round Eight of the Bond University QWAFL. Pleasure as always, Peter. Thank you. Checking out results now from the AFL Canberra First Grade Women's Competition Round Five played over the weekend where Ainsley 3-4-22 went down to the Gungahlin Jets 8-8-56. Tuggeranong Hawks 4-3-27 were defeated by the Eastlake Demons 13-8-86. And the Quimbian Tigers 2-2-14 were defeated by the Balcona Magpies 8-9-57. Looking ahead to Round 6 action being played this Saturday at 10am at uh, Adero Law Nest, Balcona Magpies host the Ainsley Football Club. Eastlake Demons host Quimbian Tigers, 10am at UNSW Canberra Oval, while at 11.30am at Greenway Oval, Tuggeranong Hawks host the Gungarland Jets. Across to Tasmania for the State League Women's Competition, Round 6 played over the weekend, where the Tigers, three straight 18, were defeated by Glenorchy, 10-15-75. Launceston, 10-12-72, defeated Burnie, no score. To round seven action being played this weekend, both games on the Sunday, 3rd of June at 11.30am at KGV. Glenorchy host Launceston, while at Justin Bay Oval at 12 o'clock, Clarence host the Tigers. Time to find out what's happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And joining us on the line from Sydney, it's Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. We've just had round seven of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. An interesting round, three one-sided games and then the closest possible margin for another. Yeah, it's probably um, the round that had the, you know, the the greatest average margin. You know, we've had some pretty close games um, over the years. So, yeah, but a, a few big margins um, on the weekend. Let's start with the first one, the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, 8-10-58, easily accounting for the Newtown Breakaways, nine behinds. Yeah, I mean, look, it's always going to be hard to win a game when you don't kick a goal. And, uh, I mean, look, you know, nine scoring shots for nine behinds, obviously uh, disappointing for the Breakaways. Um, <clears throat> the Bulldogs continuing their good run, um, a really consistent effort, two goals in a, in each quarter. Um their their best players were Nielsen, um, Lorf and Parkin. Uh, Nielsen also chipped in with three goals, and and Lorf got two. Uh, and best players for the breakaways were uh, Root, Hocking, and Schroeder. Looking to the Western Wolves Macquarie University game, and it was the Warriors comfortably eleven seven seventy three over the Wolves, just the one behind. 
Yeah, obviously another disappointing result there for the Wolves um, to only score once in a game um, is, yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, not not great signs for them. Um, McHugh would have starved them of opportunity. Uh, McHugh converted fairly well, kicking 11-7. Laura Russell continued her good form this season, kicking three. Um, Aslan Aubrey also kicked three uh, for the Warriors. And, uh, yeah, a great performance um, across the board uh, by the team there. And, yeah, continuing their unbeaten run, Peter. The closest game of the round, it was a thriller. Auburn Penrith Giants 5-6-36, defeating the Sydney Uni Bombers 5-5-35. Yeah, good to get a close game in there considering the scores of the other games. Um, I think this also may be the first time that Auburn Penrith um, or either side on their own have beaten Sydney uh, Uni or at least in the Premier Division. So that's obviously a, a big result there for the Giants. Um, look, there was never really much in it um, at any stage. Uh, you know, there's five points uh, in it at quarter time. The Bombers got back to be one point up at half time. They were still three points up at three quarter time. But uh, yeah, the, the Giants just finished off that little bit stronger. Um, Brighton again was in the goals for the Giants, kicking two. Um, Laban kicked two for the Bombers. Uh, GWS listed players. Nicole Nicolaba, um, Louise Stevenson, uh, they they were in the best for the Bombers, and uh, um, yeah, obviously uh, the the closest game for the year. And um, rookie listed Giants player Hanine Sarika was named the best player uh, for the Giants, so a close one, and uh, obviously a significant win for the Giants um, to get their first win over the Bombers in Premier Division. And finally, the UTS Shamrock 16-9-105, defeated the Southern Power 3-2-20. Yeah, look, if any of the games, um, I probably would have predicted this to have been the closest. Um, the Shamrocks and Power have all, always been um, fairly close, no matter what, um, I suppose, division of Sydney women's footy they've played in. Um, but the Shamrocks just came out and uh, really had it over the Power from the start, kicking five goals to one. Uh, in the first quarter, uh, they kicked another four in the second, uh, three in the third, and, and finished off strong, kicking four in the fourth. And Power only managed three two for the game. So, I think it would have come as a shock to uh, to the Power um, to get blown away um, by the Shamrocks. Uh, but yeah, look, take nothing away from the Shamrocks. Great effort. Um, they had a few multiple goal kickers in uh, Breen with four, Garrity with three, O'Loughlin two. And uh, B and, and Highland also kicked two each. Um, yeah, so look, fantastic for the, the Shamrocks there to get another win on the board. Um, and uh, yeah, Power on CB looking to um, erase that from the memory and, and get it with next weekend's game. Lauren, let's get your tips for round eight action this weekend. It uh, all begins on Saturday, the 2nd of June. All games on Saturday, 11.40 a.m. Uh, Auburn Penrith Giants hosting the Western Wolves. I think um, even before their win over the Bombers, uh, the Giants are going favourite here, and um, I think they'll have a comfortable win over the Wolves. Newtown Breakaways host the UTS Shamrocks 11.50am at Marty Park. I think off the back of their uh, big win, uh, you'd have to say the Shamrocks are definitely in form and then be you know, riding high on the confidence, so uh, I think they'll have a, another win there, Peter. 2.40pm at University Oval, Mac Uni hosts the Sydney Uni Bombers. 
I think uh, Makiri will continue their unbeaten run and uh, beat the Bombers. And finally, 4.45pm at Waratah Oval, the Southern Power hosts the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Uh, look, I think UNSW um, will will win this one. Um, it is a big day for power. Um, they're hosting Indigenous round, uh, wearing jumpers designed by uh, one of their own players, Rihanna Lotter. Um, they're having a ceremony before the game, so it'll be a big day. But um, I think UNSW will spoil the party. Well, Lauren, thank you very much again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you again next week when we review the round of footy. Yeah, looking forward to it, Peter, and thanks for having me on the program. And that wraps things up here from the Fitzroy Bowls Club for our special edition of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. Just a reminder, we'll be bringing you two games of VFL Women's Football this weekend, Saturday from 3pm. It's the VFL Women's Dreamtime game between Richmond and Essendon at Punt Road Oval. And then on Sunday from 2pm, we'll bring you Melbourne University versus Geelong from University Oval. I'm Peter Holden. Until then, it's bye for now.